1: Hello, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, whether this is your first time or you're one of the brave souls who join us every week. There are many uncertainties in life, but one thing we know for sure is we will all die. We all know the options of an afterlife, be it in the spirit world, a restful place beyond, Or the fiery pits of hell. But no matter what you believe happens after death, we all know it will come for us. Some people are accepting of that fact, and others will do whatever they can to avoid their fate and run from the Reaper. First, when will you die? Followed by chasing death. Then, do not stop, just drive. Finally, in our featured story, A Haunting Sacrifice... So, want to hear something scary? <music> Running from the Reaper. Be sure if you are going to ask the question, you are prepared to hear the cold, hard truth. Like in this story inspired by Ashlyn. Jenny's excitement for a fun girls' night at Breeland's house quickly gave way to her anxiety as she stepped inside and realized that Breeland's parents were away for the weekend. The absence of adult supervision tugged at Jenny's anxiety, and her mind spiraled into a whirlpool of worries. She stressed over the consequences of her actions, her parents' potential punishments. She catastrophized the looming danger that could happen to them in the house without adults present. What if there was a fire, or a break-in, or a medical emergency? The possibilities were endless. Just before Jenny called her parents for an SOS pickup, Dan and Kaysen, two of their friends, showed up. She would die of embarrassment if they knew she was planning to be sick and leave. With a deep breath and a fake smile... Ginny gave in and asked what movie they were going to watch. Breland's eyes narrowed, and with a sinister grin, she said, Let's play with the dead. She said this as she pulled out a Ouija board. The others eagerly agreed. Ginny, however, was hesitant. She thought it was dangerous to mess with that kind of stuff. Breland rolled her eyes and began to set up the board, lighting candles all around them. The atmosphere grew tense as they circled the Ouija board, the flickering candles that encircled them casting shadows on the walls. The room's darkness seemed to mirror that of the game they were about to play. As they placed their fingers on the planchette, the connection to the unknown tightened, and the air grew colder. Innocent, playful questions gave way to a chilling moment. Out of the four of us, who will die first? Brelan asked, almost proud of herself. The boys chuckled until the planchette began to move. It spelled out the name D A N. The others looked at Dan. He pulled his hands off the planchette, laughing. He demanded to know which one of them moved it. He accused them of coordinating behind his back before they got there. Suddenly, Jenny's mouth dropped. Utterly speechless, she pointed to the board. The planchette was moving on its own, with no one's hands on it. It then spelled out, Bre-Lynn, Ginny, and lastly, Casson They were silent till Dan squeaked out a question. When will I die? The board's cryptic response, soon, sent a shiver through them all. Before they could react further, the candles inexplicably flickered and were suddenly extinguished. Plunging the room into darkness, panic and fear took hold as Breland scrambled to restore light to the room and end the unsettling session. Without talking about what they witnessed, Dan and Casson said goodnight and took off home on their bikes. Jenny and Breland went to sleep, or at least pretended to sleep as they both lay there trying to comprehend what they just witnessed. Jenny's parents arrived to pick her up early the next morning but her initial fear of parental punishment transformed into shock as her mother hugged her tightly and began to cry. The devastating news shattered the girls. Dan was dead. He'd been hit by a car the previous night while riding his bike home. The weight of the supernatural events from the night before pressed heavily on Jenny's mind. Could their messing with the Ouija board have triggered the tragic events? As the years passed... The trio who had narrowly escaped death grew distant from one another. Their bond, once unbreakable, became but a memory. Curiosity and rumors swirled around them. As the school community sensed the strangeness of their detachment, wondering why they would drift apart after such a tragedy. Only they held on to the terrible secret of that fateful night. Life did not spare them, however... Each member of the trio experienced their brush with death. Brelin was nearly consumed by flames in a fiery restaurant accident. Jenny struggled to escape the clutches of a powerful ocean and nearly drowned. And Casson became desperately ill due to a rare and unexplainable illness. The specter of death loomed, a constant reminder of their past. Jenny's gratitude for escaping death was tainted by a nagging sense of inevitability. She felt it creeping closer, a dark shadow that could never be ignored. She carried with her a chilling warning, urging anyone who would listen to never toy with the Ouija board, for its revelations were often more devastating than the questions asked. Ginny had learned through that chilling experience that some secrets were better left undisturbed. Has there ever been a question that tugs at your mind, but you're too afraid to know the answer? Would you want to know exactly when you're going to die?
0: Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move.
1: or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I The
0: Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
1: Final Destination spawned an entire film franchise about cheating death and people unknowingly escaping from major accidents and then dying soon after anyway. There have also been many real-life events where someone has survived one tragedy only to befall another like in this story inspired by the film. Molly couldn't believe her bad luck. She wiped away another tear as she scrolled through her social media. Every post seemed to be her friends at the airport ready to board the flight for their senior class trip. And she was in bed with a severe case of mono. It was so unfair. And she'd been looking forward to the week-long trip to Washington, D.C. for months. She sent a final text to the group chat. Have the best time and then to her BFF, Jess, Miss, you're already XO, before switching off her cell and fell back to sleep. Her mom woke her up a few hours later, a shocked expression on her face. Molly was immediately frightened, thinking her dad or sister had been injured. Had there been an accident? Her mom burst into tears and showed Molly her cell. There were a ton of missed messages and calls, but her mom opened the news app, and there it was. Tragedy in the air. Class trip carnage as plane crashes, killing all. Molly looked at her mom in shock. It couldn't be. This must be some sort of sick joke. Or was she hallucinating? A nightmare induced by a fever from the mono? That had to be it. Because if this was real... But it was. Around 30 minutes after takeoff, the plane containing most of Molly's class and friends the plane she herself was meant to have been on, malfunctioned and made an attempted emergency landing. Unfortunately, it hadn't been successful, and the plane had burst into flames and had been torn apart while trying to land. All passengers, crew, and pilots were dead, and Molly's friends were dead. Jess, her BFF for years, was dead. The next few weeks sped by in a blur. It took her far longer to recover from the mono than it should have. Shock and depression affecting her body's ability to recover. She barely slept despite rarely getting out of bed. She attended all the funerals, memorials, and visuals. But she was numb. She heard the term survivor's guilt a lot. And maybe that's what it was. If she hadn't gotten sick, and so sick that she'd been ordered by the doctor to stay in bed and the school to not travel... She would have been there too. And dead, like everyone else. She wasn't sure that being the one who was left behind was much better. Her parents treated it like a miracle. They didn't want her out of their sight. Molly's mom, who'd known many of her classmates since they were in grade school, seemed to spend more time crying than she did. But their gratitude at her being alive still, being saved, only added to her own sense of remorse. But life went on, and before long, Molly was needing to focus on her college applications, even though she wasn't sure she wanted to go anymore. Her parents insisted on driving her to any campus visits, especially if they were out of state. But none of them felt right. Then she got an invitation to a local school, and something about their letter spoke to her. It was an easy train ride away, so rather than relying on her parents, she would go and see it on her own, without their influence. So the next day, after her parents had left for work, instead of heading to class, Molly made her way to the terminal and boarded the next train out of the city to Red River. It was around a 40-minute pleasant journey, and she was settled down with a book and a culotta. When they passed through the tunnel and the carriage went dark for a moment, she couldn't be 100% sure, but it looked like for just a second she saw Jess in the reflection on the glass, blinking away tears. She took it as an omen. Jess was looking down on her and approved of her plans. If only this had been the case. As the train sailed through the picturesque fields, she wasn't expecting the driver to slam on the brakes, causing a derailment as he tried to miss a broken-down truck obstructing the tracks. She thought about seeing Jess as her carriage spun over and her head struck the ceiling, causing her massive brain damage and bleeding before she was thrown from the broken window and crushed. It hadn't been an omen of luck or approval. Jess's spirit had been a harbinger of death. Molly may have escaped the plane crash, but fate was not on her side. Death caught up with her. It always does. Have you or someone you know ever been in a situation like this? Where you were lucky to not be in a place you were meant to have been? What would you do if this happened to you? Would you spend the rest of your life looking over your shoulder just in case? If you're fascinated by the darker sides of humanity, join us every week on our podcast, Serial Killers Sometimes the burden of someone else's horrors is enough to haunt you for your entire life. Like in this story inspired by a true tale submitted by Mo. I was driving down a long stretch of highway on my cross-country road trip. The clock on the dashboard read 11:30 p.m. and I desperately needed a place to rest. As luck would have it, a weathered sign came into view, lit up by the glow of my headlights whispering woods motel five miles ahead i followed the signs until i reached my destination however the motel wasn't exactly where i expected it to be instead of it being conveniently situated along the roadside it was nestled deep within the heart of a dense forest despite my reservations fatigue won out and i decided to stay the night the motel's vintage appearance had an undeniable charm I parked in the gravel driveway and made my way to the entrance. As I approached the front desk, a weird feeling tingled down my spine. An old woman with an aura that radiated both warm and unease greeted me. Her appearance reminded me of my grandmother, but something about her was subtly off kilter. Chalking it up to exhaustion, I brushed aside my discomfort. The check-in process was straightforward, and the woman kindly offered me a late-night snack politely declining I followed her down a dimly lit hallway to my assigned room she stopped before a door and turned to face me her eyes locking onto mine with a gravity that belied her elderly appearance she spoke in a hushed tone remember dear the checkout is at 10am and you mustn't venture out until sunrise I nodded assuming the odd instructions were meant to maintain a quiet environment for the other guests She left me in my room, and I soon found myself sinking into the cozy bed. After a few hours of sleep, an unsettling sound woke me. A thudding echoed from outside the door, followed by the old woman's voice, dripping with a salty sweetness. Mr. Hayes, I told you not to leave your room. We wouldn't want to disturb our new guest, would we? The situation had taken a perplexing turn, and my heart raced. Despite my curiosity, I resisted the urge to investigate and force myself back to sleep. As the hours passed, I was awakened once again, this time by the blaring alarm from my car. I rushed to the window, peering out into the darkness. A chilling sight met my gaze. An unnaturally tall shadow loomed near my car. It stretched out arms nearly grazing the ground. Though its features were obscured by the darkness, an intense feeling of being watched gripped me, its gaze fixated on me. I ducked away from the window and went into the hallway. The old woman was there, startling me. Sorry, dear, she greeted me with a smile. Her demeanor at odds with the chaos stirring in the middle of the night. What was that? The thing near my car, I blurted out. With a weary sigh, the woman motioned for me to sit on the bench beside her, and a young man entered the hall holding a tray of tea with one arm. Their calmness seemed unnatural, and the whole thing premeditated. The old woman began by telling me she and her husband had purchased the motel in the 1950s, full of dreams and aspirations. However, their idyllic life was shattered when the entity appeared. Her voice trembled as she recounted the horror. Her husband was the first victim, surviving a vicious attack that should have been fatal. The young man, their son, had his own harrowing encounter, surviving despite losing an arm. Every person who left the motel at night met the same fate. If not death, their bodies forever bearing the scars of the creature. Her hand brushed against my shoulder, her eyes brimming with sorrow. I only want you to be safe she whispered. Why don't you leave? I asked, my voice quivering. The young man spoke up saying they couldn't escape. If they attempted to leave during the day, they returned to the interior an endless dreamlike cycle and if they dare step out at night, the entity claimed them once again, subjecting them to an endless agony. The room felt like a vortex of despair as their stories unfolded. I wept alongside them, overwhelmed by the tragedy they endured. When dawn finally broke, I thanked them for sharing their tales of torment. Their voices were a chorus of caution as they urged me to go and never to return. As I left the motel behind, doubts began to creep into my mind. Could the events I witnessed be real or had exhaustion and fear played tricks on my mind? Though others dismiss my story as pure fabrication, I clung to the memory of the unnaturally tall shadow and the pleading eyes of the old woman to stay inside. Years have passed since that fateful night, yet the terror still lingers. When night descends and I close my eyes, the sensation of being watched grips me once more. The shadow remains etched in my memory. A haunting reminder of the horrors hidden within the Whispering Woods Motel. And while others may scoff at my story, I know that the scars left by that night are more than just figments of imagination. They are a chilling reality that continues to haunt me to this day. Have you ever stayed in a creepy hotel before? Did you run into any creepy hotel guest? Or... Nighttime Entities. In our final story, join my co-host Stephanie as she tells the tale of a Filipino urban legend inspired by Nino and now animated over on YouTube.com slash snarled.
2: Even though they say no good deed goes unpunished, it's always the correct choice to do the right thing because even the best intentions can have terrible consequences. Elon's tired eyes gazed ahead at the dark road. He had been driving the dupany a popular minibus in the Philippines, for 12 long hours, picking up and dropping off passengers. Once the last passenger was off the bus, he was eager to return to his comfy home to his sweet daughter who had been waiting for his return. While heading home, His attention was drawn to a silhouette on the roadside. It was a slender teenage girl, barely noticeable in the dim light. A feeling of duty resonated within him. With the late hour and the empty road, he couldn't simply abandon her. What if she was his own daughter in the need of help? Letting out a sigh, he guided the Jeepney to a stop. The teen felt nervous and cautious as she got into the empty vehicle. But when she looked down the long, dark road ahead, she knew this would be the better option. As the minutes passed, the girl's tension eased, and she felt more comfortable telling the driver her name was Stella. And she had been so busy with her training for a varsity track meet, she lost track of time, thus leaving much later than expected and had no service on her cell phone to call for a ride. After she explained her situation, Alon glanced into the rearview mirror to look at her, but his heart fell into his stomach. What he saw wasn't the girl he had picked up. Instead, her body was headless, and the rest of her body was in a gruesome, bloody state. What happened to the cautious teenage girl? He thought. Alon swerved the jeepney back onto the road, his breath getting stuck in his throat. He turned around quickly to look at Stella face to face. And to his relief and confusion, she was whole and intact. But now Stella was the one shocked and confused at the driver's state. Is is something the matter? She asked. Her anxiety of being alone with a strange man was returning. Something didn't feel right, and his creepy behavior only fueled her unease. Alon apologized, explaining he was just tired. This was his last journey of the night. As time passed, Stella began to wonder if she'd made the right decision. Maybe the driver had bad intentions. He was certainly acting strange and staring at her creepily in the rearview mirror. She checked her phone. Still no service. With slight fear, Alon peered into the mirror again and gasped. There it was again. Her headless body, deep gashings covering her arms and chest and dripping with blood. The driver abruptly hit the brakes, launching himself out of his seat and quickly rushing to the back of the Jeepney to check on Stella. To his immense relief, he found her safe and unharmed, but visibly shaken and terrified. Stella's screams pierced his ears as she backed away. Stay away from me, she cried. Alon cowered, his voice trembling. You must listen to me. I promise I'm not here to hurt you, but... Every time I look in this mirror, I see... He lowered his voice, whispering the words. I see this lifeless, decapitated, dead version of you. Stella was horrified. Why was this man telling her such traumatic things? Alon guided Stella off the jippany. He said he would find another driver to take her directly home. He gave her instructions to burn everything she was wearing which included her clothes, sneakers, and gym bag. This was the only way to cut the horrific connection between her and the gruesome version of her he'd seen in the mirror. Shortly after he returned to the driver's seat, another vehicle passed by, and Alan pleaded them to take Stella home safely. Stella, still wary, but sensing he meant her no actual harm, thanked him. Alan managed a small smile in return as he watched the car disappear into the distance. His heart aching with the weight of his decision. He closed his eyes and thought of his daughter when, bang, a deafening crash shuddered the stillness. The vehicle that had carried Stella away had swerved into the side of the road, sending a sharp, lethal spike through the windshield, stabbing the driver through the windpipe and sending the spike directly into Stella's neck, decapitating her head in an instant. Driving on, Alan was haunted by Stella's sweet, frightened eyes and the selfish choice he made that night. He knew he was a coward, but once he saw the warning signs of Stella's death, he couldn't bring himself to die with a teen he barely knew. He had to unlink them. He knew he had to get her out of the Tepany before her bad luck brought them both down. He would live to get home to his daughter, but Stella's fate had been sealed. It had been her destiny to die. After all, you can't outrun death.
1: This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sindalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends. Sweet screams.
0: (laughs) Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why.